There's a narrative about sex that's fairly prevalent in our world. Let's call it the pre-Foucault understanding of sexual history. And it goes a little something like this. These days, we are far more enlightened and liberal and understanding in our views of sex than our prudish ancestors. However far back you go, there's only less acceptance of the reality of human beings' sexual desires in our history and in our cultural artifacts. There's no open acceptance of homosexuality as recently as, well, actually right now in some quarters of the world. There's no acceptance of sex outside of marriage until, what, maybe the 1960s? No attempts to even understand the physical composition of sex until the late 1950s. The further back in time you go, the more repressed and restricted Western culture became about sex. Perhaps there was no age or people more oppressive in their view and policing of sex than Victorian England. It was a society absolutely obsessed with policing women's bodies, with connecting virtue with heterosexual, procreative intercourse, and with demonizing, punishing, and discussing at very great length the various forms of sexual deviance. Based on what the moralists of the time were talking about, there's never been a place and time more dedicated to reducing sex to the thing that happened between a married man and a married woman. Except, as Michel Foucault pointed out in his book, The History of Sexuality, the Victorian era was also filled with mistresses, uh, barely obscured homosexuality, and the first proto-feminist discussions of abusive marriages and female bodily autonomy. The Victorians wound up giving voice to all the other types of sexuality that had always existed but had never been talked about. Instead of killing those other views of sex, it actually paved the way for the far more liberal attitudes we hold today. Looking at sex in Shakespeare's time and in his works reveals a similar world stuck between two truths. The first, that sex has always been a many-splendored, or at least multifaceted thing, and the second, that despite the crushing weight of legal, cultural, and religious dictates in trying to police sex, Elizabethans wound up having a fairly free discourse on the subject. Unfortunately for modern readers, that discourse is still much more obscure than our modern ultra-liberal discussion of everything from kinks to polyamory. Such talk, while still there in Elizabethan works, is far more layered and lacks a lot of the diction we take for granted. But today we're going to take you on a tour through the world of sex in Elizabethan England, and more importantly, our own discourse about how sex winds up working in Shakespeare. What contemporary concerns are in Shakespeare's plays? What modern conditions are still discernible? What does Shakespeare's discussion of sex say about the writer, his world, and the place of his characters in it? Since brevity is the soul of wit. More of your conversation would infect my brain. Romeo. Wherefore art thou, Romeo? To speak of him as my kinsman, he's a most notable coward. An infinite and endless liar. An hourly promise breaker. The owner of no one good quality worthy your lordship's entertained. I'd beat thee, but I should infect my hand. The lady doth protest too much, methinks. The course of true love never did run smooth. I'm Aiden. I'm Lindsay. And this is the Big Spot. And we are here, as Aiden has very eloquently uh, put, we are here to discuss a uh, sex? sex? Sex. Sex. There it is. Sex. It this is was... not going to be awkward at all. No, no. no. <laughs> Married couple talking about sex. What no. is this? <laughs> I don't know. What is it? I don't it? know either. It... <laughs> I was going for a joke. It's not really <laughs> It didn't land there. It yeah. didn't land at nice all. Nice try. You're uh, 
So yes, originally this is, and it's it's sex and love. Yes. Love is obviously uh, intimately connected. See what yeah. I did there? So I that, that was a there. bad pun there. That was uh, terrible. <laughs> that, the, the two are obviously connected, and they mm-hmm. were connected in Shakespeare's plays, um, which we talked about a, a little bit in the last uh, last episode, Romeo and Juliet. Yep. Obviously very concerned with love, um, yep. but also sex. Uh, and also uh, throughout the rest of the plays, there are connections between love and sex, but the focus of this particular episode is on how sex is portrayed in the plays, uh, how it existed in Shakespeare's time, and how those things kind of connect to form the picture that, that we get today of, yeah. of Shakespeare and sex. And I think also, like you said, um, what kind of modern, um, maybe not interpretations, but but what modern hang-ups can we put onto the plays or take away from the plays? Mm-hmm. Because I think there's a lot of that anyway with Shakespeare. We try to make the plays fit a modern interpretation yeah so uh sex is no different for us we're gonna yeah. look for what makes sense to us and yes. make it fit our worldview yes so how does that work yes and um, especially for the plays uh there's so much that can be read between the lines that for sure. you know you can definitely inject a healthy dose of sexuality uh that may not have been present in any original productions yep. but makes sense to our audiences and so when we watch it we're like yeah okay sure Richard yeah, or, II was totally gay yeah. yeah it clears up certain things that um or or underlines the things that a, a contemporary elizabethan audience would have understood from the language alone yeah sure but that we might have trouble discerning so you you kind of bold and highlighted by you know giving titania a glowing vagina in that one one production of yes (laughs) midsummer night's dream um so yeah i I think it'll be a really interesting discussion i know virtually nothing about this subject i i know what i um my i guess i have the biases the um preconceived notions Mm -hmm. aiden has has taken the step uh to a little bit further, you read a, a book about the subject? Yes, by uh, Stanley Wells, noted Shakespeare uh, scholar. Dude. Yes, indeed. Shakespeare dude? See, he's a Shakespeare dude, that's yeah. for sure. Uh, and it was on love and sex in, in Shakespeare. So, okay. And he, he broke it down uh, into a format that we're going to kind of similar we're going to follow it a little bit mm-hmm. here uh basically talking about what what were the attitudes around sex in Shakespeare's time mm-hmm. in the cultural that uh, that existed around that and then how did the plays deal with it um and it's a fairly I think you know I, I was kind of getting towards it in my essay I didn't quite come out and make a thesis statement because I think I'm going to save this for uh our bickering at the end okay. of this episode okay. um but I think there's a there's a fairly good case to be made that Shakespeare had a pretty modern understanding of sex back even back then okay uh, and it, it kind of gets represented differently than how we might talk about it but I think the the key uh, understanding is still there in Shakespeare's words I do have a question for you about that to yes. start us off but before we get too far in I guess we should acknowledge the elephant in the room um, which is that this yeah. is the first episode that we're recording since the pandemic kind of settled on the Western world. Yeah. Um, so we are both currently working from home. It's been a period of weird adjustment for us. I'm a teacher, as you know, so I'm teaching virtually now, which yeah. is strange. Yeah. Um, I miss my kids a lot. <laughs> Aiden uh, works at a computer wherever yes. he is, so it's not that different, but... I mean, you know, we're, we're, we're adjusting. We're waking up early and we're doing yoga together and we're trying to get out for walks while keeping, you know, physical distancing a yes. thing. We've been washing our hands. Aiden is scratching his hands as we, as we they speak. They are so dry. They are so it dry. Is crazy. Um, 
But anyway, we, we hope that you're all safe uh, mm. and and illness free, yes. and that you remain that way. Yes. Um, this is uh, unprecedented times, very strange times. But we hope to. I mean, we're talking about sex, which is not <laughs> something that physical distancing would allow, unless I no, there really is no unless <laughs> virtual sex. I guess yeah, maybe yeah. maybe yeah. maybe there's an angle we can play in, into there a little bit. Um, but, uh, or within the bonds of your uh, nuclear family, already. right? Yeah, that's, right. Yeah. Unless you're married, in which case, obviously not. Obviously yeah, not. That, that's just obviously. <laughs> some are born great. Some achieve greatness. Sister. And some have greatness thrust upon them. Um, and now I've forgotten the question that I was going to ask you about <laughs> your your thesis. Oh, you said that you said that Shakespeare had a modern view on sex. Um, me, the the rube, I know nothing about this. Is that, do you think, because Shakespeare the man was more liberal? Or was the society that he was working in more liberal like we are today in many ways? Yeah. What 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 do you think is, is I, happening there? I think it was always kind of a, there's there's a big, and it was it was what broke down during the Victorian era when it became obsess, an obsession for everybody. I mean, you go back to, you know, pre-Victorians, you know, the, the Jane Austens and, and what have you of the world. Um, they were also obviously concerned with, uh, you know, things like chastity Rules. and yeah, yeah, exactly. Like uh, a woman's value being determined by her virginity and right. all, all those kind of hangups that, that, that exist in that time. Uh, but that was always only really a concern of the, the upper classes. It was an yeah. aristocratic thing and it goes back to royalty and, you know, how can you be sure that the king king's son is actually his son if the queen's stepping out on the side you so know? a landowning family yeah. whose title would go to the yeah, eldest to the, yeah, male heir would it, need to ensure lineage. The, yeah exactly and you know that was that was kind of the underlying concern you know materially for a long yeah. time and a lot of lower class people didn't have those hang-ups so right. it was you know they were going to survive on their little plot of land whoever their mother or father happened to be for real yeah it didn't really matter because they were going to inherit the land and so the poor yeah. the poor always kind of were a little bit freer yeah marry for love exactly well yeah and and they operated in a different world it was just yeah and and that was one of the first things that uh was interesting in stanley wells's book was that uh he said you know there was there's a lot of evidence that you know the poor classes did just marry for love all the time they would meet in the village and they'd be like yeah i like you you like me let's get married and it happened all the time and it it happened with shakespeare presumably right Right. um there is of course the whole thing about him knocking up anne hathaway uh before they were married uh but uh, that is there the the idea that this was uh, uh, a fairly free sexual society in a lot of ways, uh, in some ways more free even than here. And we'll, we can get to okay. sex workers and, and okay, and stuff. yeah, for sure, yeah, okay, yeah. Um, but I mean, we think today about you know um, the influence of the church. I think is mm-hmm. is something that we don't deal with as much anymore, even though there are. You know, in terms of, of pure numbers, there are far more religious people on the planet because there are just that many more people on the planet yeah. than there ever were back then. Yeah. Um, so there are definitely segments of our society that are very um, dictated to when it comes to things like sex and love and marriage and that kind of thing. Yeah. That seems to me to be the way it was back then. The church was part of, you know, it was your whole life was was based around the church calendar right yeah. and the saints days and all that stuff so i mean i would imagine that sex would be governed by the church in a lot 
bigger capacity. Yeah, I mean, the the state and the church are kind of, I mean, especially in Shakespeare's time, yeah. uh, under the Anglican church, right. it was one and the same, right? Mm. They, they were all kind of focused on the same. Yes, no separation purpose. of church and state. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, definitely, it definitely played a, a larger part. And there is, there is much more... Uh, uh, I'd say the church played a stronger moralizing role, and this the church also was the important thing that sanctioned uh, productive sexual relationships, right. like through marriage. So um, there were a couple examples in the book of you know uh, someone from Shakespeare's town. In fact, the the book is really great for diving into not just what sex was like in Elizabethan England, but within Stratford upon Avon. Oh, there's, okay. there's actual records there's, from that town. Seriously? Yeah, there's one of like a guy who. Uh, I think he he basically bedded someone, uh, and then he couldn't get married, so he had to like stand in the church and get like like dunce cap kind of thing, like just oh be shamed God. publicly. And then after that, he could marry uh, the woman who he wasn't who he hadn't knocked up. It was like the other woman. It was like it was like a strange little system, Weird. right? So they they you know the the church would enforce these things right. and and would allow the the sanctioning of marriage being the the biggest kind of hammer in their in their uh, repertoire, but the state. Um, also had you know there were laws against homosexuality Mm, um but interestingly uh those were rarely enforced Uh, i think he mentioned that in all of uh elizabeth's reign or james's reign uh there was only there were only three convictions for homosexuality Mm. in like however many years and only one and there was a death sentence but only one was ever carried out the other two were uh, recused or uh, yeah. Acquitted or whatever. They 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 were their sentence was never carried out. So huh. literally in perhaps twenty years of reigning, uh, one death for homosexuality. And they, I'm pretty sure that case too. There was a number of other crimes that that person had been charged sure. with, and they just added in buggery because they yeah. they felt like it. So yeah. Interesting. So the the laws against homosexuality. Presumably all of this stuff, I'm saying presumably a lot. Because um, <laughs> you're presuming. Because I'm presuming. <laughs> uh, so because in these cases it sounds like sex is meant to be something that's conducted between a man and a woman within the confines of marriage for the purposes of procreation. So is that why homosexuality has always kind of been yeah. on yeah, the outside? Exactly. I mean, okay. there's there's the whole Leviticus quote as well. But yeah. I mean, that's just kind of... It's, it's, it's a strong arm of the norm of saying, yes, yeah, sex okay. is for this purpose. Yeah. Um, but again, when we get into Shakespeare's plays, we'll see that you know that's probably not the association that all that all of the people attending Shakespeare's plays, at least, would have had with sex. Because well, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of characters who just have sex for fun, and yeah. the, the audience is obviously in on this because a lot of time it's for a joke, you know. Sure. You know, making fun of the fact that sex is pleasurable. Yes. Uh, you know, the wordplay, a lot of the the puns are so sexual, puns. sexual based. <laughs> there, puns. there was uh, Stanley Wells laid it out at the start it was kind of like there are so many puns that I'll point out just a few and then every couple plays he'd he'd point out like and this passage might have up to six dick jokes in one passage and stuff and it's like oh okay yeah and once you read it and you you kind of go through some of them are very obvious even today and there's not so much okay Mm -hmm. um well that's interesting that i mean i guess i i kind of assumed that you know we know that the the plays kind of operate on that um body level Mm mm-hmm and that's probably because there was such a wide cross-section of people attending the plays. So you would get, you know, your groundlings who were, you know, the kinds of people who would marry and and screw around for love and pleasure. And then the, the upper classes who probably knew that this was going on did it anyway 
but you know on the on the the surface i guess they yeah. were chaste and and uh, monogamous i yeah. guess yeah maybe but everybody had a mistress or well, uh, exactly uh, yeah or a mister mister i, I don't yeah. know yes yeah, the... a side piece for yeah. sure and and that's and that's kind of the interesting thing is that a lot of this similar to kind of the victorian era was that a lot of this was kind of going on in quote-unquote secret public right. like it's kind okay. of like it's in that that shadowy realm yeah. where everybody knows but nobody's going to say anything yeah, about okay. it um the most glaring example for me was uh king james himself actually had a male favorite the earl of buckingham uh reading his words about uh the earl yeah. he was very gay and he very much loved this man <laughs> more than anything else in the world in fact that mm. was the, the the biggest quote even even though we know that male friendship was Yes. was a very strong thing. So the things that we might, like you wouldn't say those things to your friend unless you were attempting a romantic relationship with your male friend. Mm-hmm. Um, you, Aiden, I'm saying. Yes, yes, me. But <laughs> back then, you could get away with saying that. And still, it was just that's how f- male friendships were. Yeah. So even considering that, you still look at James and you're like, yeah, no, there's James there's, and Buckingham yeah, were there was there's other documents apparently. Yeah. F U C K I N G No. <laughs> totally. Okay. But yeah, okay. no, it's oh, there's it supporting kind of like, documents. Yeah, there's okay. a lot of okay. like support to to say that yes, he was in a romantic relationship okay. with Daryl. It well, would not so. be the first one. That that seems no. to have been quite common. Well, and that's the thing, right? Like I mean, just even if you take our modern interpretation of uh homosexuality or bisexuality or any sort yes. of other non-heteronormative uh, sexuality as being you know a combination of genes and environments and all these things mm. that lead into why someone has the sexual desires that they do there's there's no chance that you know there haven't been yeah. at least a couple of kings and queens that right. you know have enjoyed the the opposite company of the, the, the company of the same sex, sex. exactly yes. and just to jump on a point you you'd made just a little earlier too lens is that uh the there's there's some specific uh interesting words for like uh uh sex outside of marriage such as incontinence really yes that was a a word that apparently meant sex outside of marriage and i was i was like i've seen that in a couple shakespeare interesting uh, plays and and again the the really interesting thing is that historically annotations of the shakespeare's complete works yeah didn't didn't play up the sex puns, the dick puns, right, the okay. uh, you know, the even incontinence is not usually listed like in yes. our Bevington that yes. we refer to uh, quite often. Uh, not he's a little more conservative. Doesn't doesn't quite point sure. that one out. So you can you can t- entirely miss uh, a subtext between two characters talking because one of them says incontinence and you're thinking like, oh, is he is he Pee backed in the up? Bed. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Do you have some sort of problem with the, yeah. the nether regions? And he does. But, but it's, it's sexual. <laughs> yeah, it's sexual. Okay. So uh, this is actually a point that uh, uh, comes Stand up again and Wells. again. Yes. Well, Wells makes, but uh, I've seen it in other pieces too, is that it really depends on who's annotating your version, whether or not right. you're going to get the full range of uh, sexual punnery that goes on. Sure. And I think that's probably I, the reason that I know most of those puns not because I teach it to my students I obviously don't but um but you you mention it to your kids you're like well guess what all of these puns are you know dick jokes and sex jokes and so I think we play it up more now to engage uh modern readers because then they think oh well it's no different than an episode of you know whatever tv show is popular that has or or whatever meme is going around on the internet right yeah Whatever TikTok is 
<laughs> yes, exactly. Yes, that, that yeah, speaks to the real. Well, the yeah, real but but I think that's are. yeah, that so that's a sign of the times too. I guess if you're reading a, an edition of Shakespeare that hasn't been updated since uh, Victoria was on the throne, <laughs> yes. you're definitely going to be missing out because they're not going to annotate it. So. Yeah, in some cases they've even removed sections that were a little too filthy, especially in yeah, like the 1700s and leading into the Victorian era. I um, love it. And on the other end of that, Lindsay, just kind of connected to uh, Shakespeare's writings and how they've been interpreted through the ages. Uh, in Shakespeare's time, there was a whole bunch of poetry and mm. other uh, writings that are straight up erotic, <laughs> like yeah. almost like erotica. Yes. Uh, the most interesting one in the Wells book was Thomas Nash uh, had a huge oeuvre of filthy, filthy works, including one <laughs> devoted to the dildo. Uh, and really? I think it was all about how uh, it was like the, the writer was upset that the woman used the dildo and not him for sexual oh pleasure. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, and this was, and it's like, it's obscured. Did he use the word dildo? Uh, no, I think he used okay. every word, but. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Cause it was that's a different word back that's, then. But, okay. But, yeah. but that's that, are, like the etymology of it is, is fascinating. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. So, I mean, th- so this was something that, and this poem was published. Like, it's not like yeah. it was just like uh, someone found it in a, in a desk drawer of Nash's 30 years later. Like, this was someone published this and uh, maybe been under the books, I think. But, or uh, under the table. <laughs> under the table. Under the books. Under maybe. the books. Maybe. It's well, under there's, stuff. there's also that very famous, you've got it here in the notes too, about um, the Burbage and Shakespeare um, mm-hmm. with the woman, like, that was going to go to bed with Richard Burbage. And William Shakespeare got to her first yeah. and sent a note out to Burbage that William the Conqueror came before Richard the third. Yeah, this was whatever it was. And um, because he was playing Richard the third, yeah, he like, was. Okay, yeah, that's yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so that's, right, him, that's yeah. right, that's right, that's um, right. Yeah, which is just it, it's like so, and that's that's a published anecdote, yeah. right? Like yeah, that's not something. Times, yeah. yeah. So I mean, it's it's not like these were chaste, no, virginal. No, no, of course no. not. Well, and, and that's that's the interesting thing about Shakespeare's sex life, if you want to try and get into it, is yeah. that, you know, it started off pretty quickly. He was 17, when 18, he, 18 something, like that, something yeah. when he, uh, you know, impregnated Anne Hathaway. Yeah. Uh, and then he goes off and becomes a player. Yeah. Uh, and the, the Wells was very upfront, like these people were already considered licentious. Beasts, well, yeah, they, you know, they like, were the ones they were hanging out in the bear bidding dens and, and that's where the red light district, it's yeah. the equivalent of a red light district. Like this was not up class, high class. This is, this is not the West end today or Broadway. Well, maybe <laughs> well, Broadway, but <laughs> uh, no. And, and, but, but even like today you think of actors, they, 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 uh, they, people adore them. People like them. People think yes. they're beautiful. Yes, I guess people want true. them. Yeah, and they want to be wanted. So yeah. you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. they are considered. Uh, but they're not amorous. prostitutes. No, but they do work, and then they get sex from. Them. Well, <laughs> if they want to, they could if have they it. Choose, yes. yes. Okay. Yeah. I see. I see the but, line that you're drawing. No, but it, but it is like so. If you think Shakespeare went into that, I mean, maybe he had. Uh, uh, perhaps a, a larger than normal sex drive because uh, uh, he he's, Randy Libido yes because he did seek out this kind of career and lifestyle that right. kind of promoted that especially when he was in London most of his time he was not at home with uh, his wife his and wife children. yes exactly so you have to kind of assume that um, he did have some fun on the side while he was okay. there so right. um, that's just that's just to give a little flavor about you know 
the world and, and Shakespeare's part in it, uh, it is much more freewheeling than you might think. Like, oh no, nobody had sex. I mean, the, the number of brothels yeah. and inns that acted as brothels and the number of prostitutes. Uh, I think, Sex workers. We should use the word yes, yes, the phrase yeah. sex workers. Uh, yeah. I apologize. I did it already once. Yeah, no, but uh, in I think it was in the book. I can't remember, but it was something like at times a thousand in the thousands right in a, in yeah. a relatively you know london only had like a hundred thousand people or yeah. something like this in the time and there were you know over a thousand sex workers like that's a fairly big mm-hmm. proportion because you know a lot of the times these women were not having uh were not in a good position financially they had no work or sure. they, they'd come into the town married their husband had died you know whatever the circumstances were yeah. uh it was a rough life for everybody but yeah Especially, Especially for yeah, yeah. sex worker. Um, and just related to that quickly because it came up again and again and it comes up in some of the plays as well is the prevalence of venereal disease was quite right. widespread. And the fear and concern about it mm-hmm. is also one of the things that the church relied on a lot. Uh, and Shakespeare uses a lot in his plays is uh, talking about pox. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, they're not talking about chicken pox. No, this no. is this is syphilis in particular yes. was the one that everyone well, was and they, they're, we, you know, we look at VD today is as like treatable you take a yeah. pill and they didn't have that no. syphilis gonorrhea they would they would kill you cases, or, yeah. or ruin you you yeah. know physically you would be you know yeah. it was an ugly thing to have yeah. so these weren't um things to be taken lightly um but even in light of that people are going to have sex because it is pleasurable and it mm-hmm. is something that's fun and i mean you have so many characters in shakespearean plays who are playing with sex or playing with love or playing with both or even if it's not directly mentioned you could kind of imagine that they they lead that life anyway like a character like Falstaff for example or Hal Prince Hal um the characters the young lovers in Midsummer Night's Dream or Mm -hmm. Love's Labor's Lost you know the the way that especially the men carry themselves they're not um innocents no right so there's that's not like I I guess I'm I'm wondering where the idea comes from that this was such a prudish and repressed time because really you don't have to dig that far to find the kind of fun whimsical um sexual energy that um i guess people associate with now yeah but you don't need tinder to have fun <laughs> clearly you just need you know well, exactly. a, a good soliloquy yeah. every once in a while and, and that's kind of like the the point i was getting to is that yeah these especially those plays those are kind of the the highlights the other one that might be uh something like uh taming of the shrew right. you know petruchio and katarina's conversation about tails and yes. tongues and what yes. have you you know it's very very in your face and it's hilarious and yes. it's quite you know even to this day the the wordplay is so obvious that you you get it just reading like, it but it's almost it's almost more shocking to yeah, read it exactly to us. yeah because, maybe we're more repressed <laughs> than we we like to think we are well but you know it's it's this idea that you know it was it was there that that element of sex was there mm-hmm. and everybody understood it to right. the point that Shakespeare could sell out houses making yeah. those kind of jokes and I mean Falstaff is you know kind of the ultimate one he is kind of he dallies with with sex Free workers loving. absolutely yes, yes. he's his, and his, the character was beloved queen elizabeth yeah, loved him loved him uh maybe because partly because of that because he yeah. was this freewheeling guy whereas she was you know couldn't be but she sure. she you know she saw the joy that uh he would bring yeah um 
And so Shakespeare had to write another play just devoted to this character because yeah. uh, he was so well beloved. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this this definitely this kind of like free loving, uh, you know, sex is there for a good time, not a long time, yeah. uh, is really prevalent in a lot of the plays. Okay. Uh, and it's it is it is interesting I found to to actually think about it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not necessarily the case in all. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the other one, there's kind of like sex for fun, and then there's sex for not fun. Right. Uh, You've got sexual jealousy under here too. Yeah. Is that, yeah. Is that all part and parcel? Of- yeah. I mean, it's it, jealousy is maybe a little different because that one kind of usually serves more of a dramatic purpose. Yeah. Um, but in terms of like just presenting how sex happened in the world in a way that the audience would understand. Yeah. Uh, there's there's also the other end of sex, which is like something like Titus Andronicus. Uh, or the two gentlemen of Verona, you know, I'll right. take you like a soldier will. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's a threat of rape that's yes. very real, um, and it actually happens in Titus Andronicus. Um, but uh, it's this kind of other side of it that sex is also can be, also be not pleasurable, uh, right. which is also something that we we understand very well in like this kind of me too-ish kind of time frame. Yeah. Uh, understanding that, especially men, it's almost always men. Uh, there are a few, there is an interesting uh, counterexample of uh, one of the characters from a play that I have not read, so I can't speak knowledgeably about it, uh, but she does the desiring and the man kind of turns her down and then she kind of works her way back to it. I can't remember if it's... Uh, well, that sounds like Venus and Adonis to me. Well, exactly. And Venus and Adonis <laughs> is uh, is a, another example of this. Right. Except for in the play, she does eventually get the guy okay. uh, and marries him after tricking him into sleeping with her. Okay. So there's that actually happens in two different plays there's okay. there's the like we swap you think you're going to be sleeping with this yes, person put on actually... a blindfold turn off the lights and then i'll yeah, yeah someone yeah. sneaks in instead um which is very interesting that yeah they did this i think the 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 point to make there might be that um as we know now rape is is not um about sexual desire at all it's about mm-hmm. power so in those cases and and it is interesting that in most of the plays where women are there, there's not a lot of um, when men want to exact revenge or something on a woman, they're not going to, with the exception of Titus Andronicus, they cut out her tongue, yeah. but, but they rape her first. It's, it's a power grab, right? They're trying to humiliate or, or um, take out their revenge that way. So sex becomes a cudgel that is, used to beat a woman into submission um which is what we know rape is today Mm -hmm. it's not about sexual desire so it's it's um yeah it's it's spoiling it's it's doing something that can't be undone well and i think that that does play into any of these cultures that have um that places such a high value on on women's virginity and virtue um, that idea of spoiling them for mm. like their value goes down as yeah. a person, um, then sex becomes uh, it's a commodity as gross as that is to say. Yeah. But it's it's a theft then, right? It's yes. like it's like grand well, theft auto <laughs> or stealing a guy's horse in the old west, right? Yeah. It's like the ultimate. It's it's all that a woman really has if we look at something like. Romeo and Juliet, right? Where, mm-hmm. you know, her her marriageable state is only valid as long as she is yeah, a virgin. Based on her maidenhead. Exactly. Yeah. And that's something that 
when it's gone, it's gone. Like she has no value then, right? Once you're a married woman, your value is as a mother is in relation to the other people around you. It's not about inherent value. Yeah. Right? And, and again, though, it is, it is a concern primarily for the kind of main characters, the upper class yeah. characters, the, the, the more, uh, lower class fools and what have you that, mm-hmm. um, don't take sex so seriously. Right. They they have a bit more freedom from that. Sure. Um, but there is still threats of of rape and stuff like that in, yeah. in other plays as well that that are focused more on just like on inflicting pain. Yeah. And that that you know the the sense of it has nothing to do with desire. It, right. it is literally just about hurting somebody. Yeah. Um, so that's again a fairly modern kind of understanding of it that that sex is, yeah. that rape is not just about desire although in two gentlemen of verona it's it's expressed that way but, yeah but it's only after he's he's angry though yes he's, exactly he's, he's taking his rage out on her in a way if it were if he, if she had been a man he would have beat her up right mm-hmm. but because she's a woman he can rape her instead because then he'll get what he wants and he can be he can like f- physicalize his rage yeah in a way that's appropriate. It's almost like sex is the the highest form of violence you can perform yeah. on a woman, yeah. right? Um, which is gross, but it's yeah. it's there. And and I guess yeah, in a me too sense, that that is something that um, in the last few years, I would imagine a lot of productions, uh, modern productions, yeah. maybe they don't struggle with it, but they definitely have to deal with it when you yes. when you put on. I don't know. I don't have the stats on this. <laughs> If Titus Andronicus is being performed these days, yeah, or a play like Othello, um, which has sexual jealousy mm-hmm. being like the main driver of like the theme of the play, right, yeah, yeah. is all based around um, Othello's jealous rage. Yeah. How do you deal with that in a post Me Too yeah, well, world? And the one we saw of Two Gentlemen of Verona uh, right. last summer. You know, I thought it handled it very well because it, it didn't shy away from it. You know, like uh, I forget her name, of course, the, yeah. the the character who's almost raped. Um, but you know, she just she's there. She was just standing on stage, shocked the entire. But they took the they took it to the end. The the women go off and become. Yes, they left. Like they they, they, they yeah. didn't they, they did didn't, not go and yeah. marry the 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 two gentlemen. So it equalized it. I guess that's the yeah. Well, there's that's like the a thing, sexual like, equalization exactly and and you know like that that's what our modern kind of sensibility demands of that play now yeah um it was not present in the bbc production they, no. they did just wander off happily they yeah. were just kind of like oh well boys will be boys kind of thing yeah um but it could have always been there you know sure. it's it's it probably would have been up to the into the hands of the director to decide like okay this is this really meaningful to this character or am i going to serve the the comedy aspect of this play versus what this character is actually going through yeah yeah because and comedy in the sense that this play must end with a marriage not that it must end in a funny way no yes yes exactly yeah um so i guess that's that's one way that we as a modern audience or a modern society will um put our own interpretation on shakespeare and there are i i can think of a, a several plays uh, Taming of the Shrew being another one um, where the sexual power dynamics maybe um, uh, much ado about nothing as well mm-hmm. where the the witty banter and between the male and female leads um, can be reconstituted in a way that makes it more palatable for an audience um, 
that demands equality between the sexes, yeah. right? Which is not to say that they're not equal, but you're right. On the page, two gentlemen is not presenting no. the sexes equally. Yeah. But there's definitely room for interpretation, which we come back to all the time on this podcast. Yes, that fine. there's so much room for interpretation with Shakespeare. It's it's why he's so popular, I think. Well, exactly. Enduringly popular. Yeah, and, and that's something Wells touched on again and again. It's like on the page, this could be harmless. It's like the puns. Yeah. Like you can either play them up to the audience or you can just say the lines and get them through and, and maybe the audience maybe like five percent of the audience, even in Shakespeare's time possibly, yeah, would have gotten the inside jokes. Mm-hmm. Uh it's similar for, you know, all sorts of sexual dynamics at play. Yeah. Uh, you know, Richard II is a really good example. Like yeah. He is cons- uh, fairly consistently these days uh, played. Performed, played gay. Yeah. Um, but, the, you know, it's not really in the text No, it's all. not. it's not like the text says that this has to happen this yeah. way, but you can read it that way. And mm-hmm. that's something that is, um, I think, makes it easier to adapt it yeah. to a modern audience. Well, exactly. And it's it's... Katarina at the end of yep. Team of the Shrew, you know, yep. it all depends on whether that last speech yes. is ironic or sincere or a mixture of both or it's ambiguous. That's where the the uh, the re- repeatability of Shakespeare comes into play is the fact that you can you can read it and then you can perform it and it can be completely different yes. than how you read it. Yes, uh, and it, it works out really well that way. There are more things in heaven and earth, Horatio, than are dreamt of in our philosophy. Uh, so, and you wanted to touch on um, some aspects of sexual jealousy a little bit more in depth. Um, yeah. So, how does we we talked about Othello, but how does uh, sexual jealousy play out in um, and and why is that such a common trope for Shakespeare to yeah it's, touch the, on? It's it's an interesting one in that it is kind of just considered like a basic urge the the characters don't even really have to give much reason uh the most telling example is probably in the winter's tale okay uh, when the yeah in the first third or the first half or whatever when uh the duke gets really jealous about his wife potentially sleeping with his best friend um there's almost no hint or reason it's literally like well i asked him to stay and he said no and then she asked him to stay and he said yes therefore they're sleeping together like it's the flimsiest of pretenses but he has this really like dark kind of speech where he's like oh but i hate him i can't trust him i'm you know i'm i don't trust her either you know yeah it just it's um i think it is just a really strong dramatic uh, pull. Uh-huh. Um, then when you get to something like Othello, where that is kind of the crux of the entire thing. Yeah. Um, I think it, it's, again, more revealing about the character. Um, and so their connections with sex um, are, are kind of related to, again, power. It's not so much that Othello doesn't love Desdemona still, it's that he doesn't trust her and he feels like he, she... She owes him her unwavering, yeah, 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 in in every sense. So it's about the loss of that power over their significant other. Um, And and then the other interesting one uh, I thought was Hamlet. Okay. um, Because his sexual jealousy is of his mother. Um, right okay and it's it's very freudian <laughs> it is, well it is very freudian but it's it, it's it's there in the text like you know yeah. he he is he, the the amount of times he talks about incestuous sheets that she's you right. know soiling uh is like off the charts like he's just he mentions it every time he's upset about of course he's her. talking about her like marrying your 
husband's brother is like marrying your brother. So yes. the incestuousness is is from that. But I totally see what you what you're getting at that it seems like he's jealous that he doesn't have his mother anymore. Yeah. Not that he ever had her, no, but exactly. he can't have her now. Yeah, and it's, it's 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 less maybe jealousy. That might be kind of a, a weird way of phrasing it and more uh, a lack of control. Yeah, this, okay. it, that's also what drives Othello yeah. and the the duke bard prince, I don't remember who it is in Winter Tales. Yeah. Uh it is a lack of control over an individual. Right. And in Hamlet, it's uh, his mother. A lack of control over his mother. And okay. so, so that's, that's, again, kind of like, I think that's a very easy thing to understand in a modern sense as well, is that like, it's not so much about the sex in any of those. It's about the loss of uh, control and 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 yeah again power and over sex is people. just the vehicle yeah for through that which it's being subverted yeah okay and it, the the last one i just wanted to mention on briefly because it's kind of related to the hamlet variation is is lear um has some very it they're not it's not like a big part of the play but uh there are a few pointed times when he laments uh the kind of whorish behavior of his daughters who have betrayed him right um in to the extent that it's totally out of proportion to uh, how they betrayed him. Yeah. The fact that he fixates on the sex as, you know, that their their horse, you know, actions are what define them. Right. Again, it's using sexual terminology to define how they've betrayed him. Um, well, and the whole play really is about quantifying your love for somebody else, yeah. right? Yeah. And how much do you love me? Show me how much you love me. Yeah. It's just there is no sex happening, like actual yeah. literal sex. But but it's no it's still a um uh it's it, yeah. It's, it's love. It's a what's yeah. that called? Contractual kind of exchange. no, no, like yeah. a transaction. Yeah, it's a transaction. transaction. Yeah, and that is is another way of commodifying sex, I guess. Yeah, but in this case, it's not sex; it's love. Well, it's yeah, it's yeah. love, but it but it's it's framed as in the betrayal of that love is framed in terms of sex. Yes. So yes. again, this is kind of something that. You still weird. see well it's weird but it, it's something that still happens like if you go on like a red pill kind of thing yeah. it's like it's kind of like well if they don't love you it's because they're whores yes which doesn't make any sense because no. if they were whores then they would probably like you more They'd yeah more like, you know it's just yeah. instantly as long turning as, the as, language as long as you haven't rejected them yes. you're you you have the potential to be virginal and virtuous yes but the minute that rejection happens then you're worthless yes so so you don't even have to have sex to remove your virtue in that yes, sense. Exactly. It's just the potential of sex has been removed therefore, and therefore you're a whore. Yeah. And that that's that is an interesting that would be an interesting thing to look at, you know, uh doing a, a modern Shakespeare Reddit play. <laughs> like which no. play would mean No, we can't. We no, can. I know, that it would be, be horrible, but it would be interesting. <laughs> Have it be cards? Let's move on to some fun topics. Some, well, more fun topics. You've got, uh, on your notes, I'm just reading the headings. You've got Whores and Saints. <laughs> yes. Whores and Saints. Whores and Saints. Uh, the two kind of bastions or, or prototypes of female yeah. sexuality. You're either Mary Magdalene or the Virgin Mary, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And those have continued, obviously, yeah. also to this day. Um, but it was... Uh, 
it's interesting that despite you know Shakespeare living in the docks and you know yeah. you know being right in the red light district, very few presentations of actual sex workers yeah. throughout any of the plays. There's a few courtesans. Okay. Uh, there's one in yes. uh, Comedy of Errors, I yeah. think, and uh, in Othello, Bianca is presented. Iago's wife is right. presented, perhaps having been uh, a sex worker at some point. Okay. It's, it's a little ambiguous, yeah. but uh, so I thought it was just interesting. There's there's very little depiction of that. Why do you think he wouldn't include uh, that one? Sex may work. have been censors. They they may have okay. actually not allowed uh, pr- uh, presentations of okay. actual characters. Okay. Um, but the one in Comedy little Affairs, haze code going yeah, on there. Yeah, you know? it, it might have been like you know depending on who the censor was that yeah. week, they whether it flew or not. Yeah. Okay. Um, but it, it is interesting that he. Uh, but there are lots of other characters, especially in. Uh, Mary Wives of Windsor, uh, you know, there's action going on in a tavern slash in sure. slash wink wink brothel. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, you know, there are characters kind of milling about um, that could fit these these kind of molds. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting that in those cases he kind of piles on the, the pox imagery sure. as well as the sex for fun kind of stuff. So, he, I, again, he's kind of okay. like whores can be fun. But or, here's a PSA. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's kind <laughs> of like... This is what happens exactly. when the bill comes due. Yeah, right? it's it's in okay. that little in-between land, which, yeah, is, okay. which is really okay. uh, interesting. Okay. Um, so where do the saints come into play? Uh, well, I think that one is... Uh, most exemplified in, in Measure for Measure, which again, I, I think we read in university maybe, or I've seen I don't remember a production, it. but it's the one about uh, the Duke tries to woo the virginal woman who's going to go into a nunnery. Okay. A real nunnery, not okay. an Ophelia nunnery. By the way, there's the Ophelia nunnery uh, may have meant a whorehouse, actually. Yeah, see, Get this is one of those things. Minute. What do you mean? What, <laughs> that was, that's one of those ones that uh, nunnery was commonly understood in the time to mean a brothel. What do they call nunneries? Also a nunnery. No, it was like, okay. oh yeah, get to the nunnery. Like it was, it was a wink, huh. wink, nudge, nudge thing that uh, Shakespeare's audience probably would have picked well, up. Well, and and but I it's mean, not there's annotated. there's some yeah. interesting. This is a total side note. Um, I wasn't going to talk about this, but <laughs> um, and I've never read ha- Hamlet this way, but I can totally see how you could that Ophelia is pregnant. Yeah, and because of the the symbolism of the flowers that she chooses, mm-hmm. um, you can read that as Ophelia is already pregnant. So get thee to a nunnery. If she's pregnant, she couldn't go into a, an actual nunnery. No. She would have to go to the the colloquial nunnery yeah. um, up the road, yeah. and around the corner <laughs> where the beer flows in the ale as they called it anyway uh yeah so i mean that 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 is really interesting that's going to make reading hamlet very interesting when we get there yeah yeah again it's one that huh. a lot of uh editors don't annotate that in at all because, no i've never i've well, never heard that it's because it's it's something that they don't have a lot of evidence for but it does seem like it, it is it was be. a phrase that people used so we're gonna we're gonna like tentatively <laughs> like it's gonna be in very light pencil nunnery possibly means whorehouse yes yes okay yeah okay yeah um but really so so measure for measure measure, for measure yes. uh she's going to an actual, actual nunnery. nunnery uh and the duke and she has to like testify for someone's good thing i again i don't remember the, yeah. the play very well um but she is like the purest virtuous right. saint she goes to extreme lengths to save the man who uh is going to be condemned if she doesn't step forward uh and then she goes to extreme lengths to 
get uh, another woman. This is another play with the swapping of right. of partners so that the Duke thinks he's, or whoever it is, thinks he's going to sleep with her. Instead but sleeps someone with else. someone else. Um, and then at the end, she still gets uh, to go off to uh, fulfill her calling to God. So okay. um, that one's kind of an interesting character. Because again, similar to the kind of sex worker angle, there's not that many pure saints. Everybody has a few flaws right. in uh, Shakespeare's characters. The yeah, I mean, think of his earliest women. Uh, Katerina. Katerina and... Uh, Joan of Arc even, right. you know, like these are fairly conflicted kind of women put into difficult positions and right. they, they have a range of emotions and anger Responses and everything. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, it's again, uh, kind of what we'd expect. And again, it's probably what drives us, us to come back to these characters and ask questions about them because right. they aren't just simple, uh, pure virginal saints that, that are going to be, you know, overcome any challenge and stuff right Hermione in, in The Winter's Tale also has that kind yes. of saintly quality she especially when she comes back there's that magic is it magic is it not magic yeah. scene where she's the statue come to life yeah. um, once she's, her virtue has been restored well yes but it's not her virtue it's her, her coming back is kind of the redemption of her husband it in is, a way yes and so that that one's interesting because she does nothing wrong but she is still punished of course whereas you know if it was a moralizing play, if it was a Punch and Judy type thing, yeah, uh, maybe not Punch and Judy, but if there was a moralizing, you know, uh, township kind of play that Shakespeare didn't write, uh, you know, the good would always get rewarded and the bad would be punished. And uh, it doesn't yeah. quite happen that way in The Winter's Tale. The The romances are really interesting because they Well, have, that's what makes them so complex. Yeah, exactly. Right? They, they have such interesting uh, interpretations. In fact, uh, in The Tempest, uh, the daughter... Miranda. Name Lizzie. Thank you, Miranda. As always, <laughs> I forget. Uh, you know, she's also kind of this virginal, chaste sure. uh, thing, but she does subvert her father a little bit by falling for uh, what's his name when he shows up as well. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so, and it, that that play again becomes more about the male figure, you know, letting her go. Yes. And and yes. accepting this, and he doesn't really put up too much of a fight. Yeah. Um, he's kind of like testing him a little bit to make yeah. sure he's not going to hurt his daughter, but he does eventually kind of yeah. let her go so uh and, and some cymbeline also similar yeah. things yes exactly jealousy and not mistaken identity mistaken uh, intentions i don't know how how else to put it but in the end good does prevail yes there's not really a, a moral judgment placed on the characters um who have done wrong mm-hmm. it's it's just they're allowed to love freely i think that's the important part for the yes. romance plays and the, the problem plays is that the love is not um it's not an indicator of your goodness or badness anymore no. and or your lack of love also is not yeah. an indicator of your goodness or badness it's just another facet of your humanity yeah and and it comes out in the play it comes out in the course of your story and and people react to it and then you go on with your lives there's no um exaltation or punishment yeah depending on which side you fall on yeah that's why the romances are just so interesting that way because it's kind of done away with I mean, it kind of fits in a sense, like we were just saying, there's there's not too many whores and saints. Right. There's a bunch of people in this gray middle area. Mm-hmm. And it seems like the romance is finally kind of push us towards viewing that as being all acceptable. Yeah. Especially if at the end, most of these women wind up back married to 
the man that they love. Yes. And that's kind of the key thing is that love is a key facet to being a sexual creature. Yes. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be sanctioned by the church. Uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, without ulterior motives, like in the Winter's Tale, when mm-hmm. she comes back to life yeah. at the end, it's there to prove a point. Yeah. But it also brings her back to her husband and it brings her husband back to her. So yeah. uh, it, it is it, it works to reconvene two lovers, mm-hmm. um, but it doesn't really care about uh punishing no. or, or praising either of those characters no. it just lets that happen and i think that's why those are plays you kind of get a hint of that in the early plays shakespeare's trying that out with some of these characters that mm-hmm. don't they kind of straddle that line but it's only as a mature writer in the you know early 1610s that shakespeare is able to really um make that complexity of love and sex Mm -hmm. uh blossom in a way that he tried to you know you you have romeo and juliet on on your heading list here it's maybe a good example because um there is sex that is not it's within the bounds of marriage but it's without the the permission of the The fathers the families so and and those characters are ultimately punished for their rash decisions which were guided by their genitals more than Mm -hmm. anything so i mean it's um but but there's an acknowledgement of the complexity of that and there's an acknowledgement of the um the prevalence of the carnality of of being a human being Mm -hmm. present in romeo and juliet's interactions with one another but but we can't get away from the moralizing yet Yes. In the 1590s, yes, exactly. we're still not able to get there. It, it's going to be a few years before we can yeah. get to a, a maybe clear plane. Yes. Of of um, allowing love and sex to exist without it being so tied up to uh, moral decision making. Yeah. Yeah. Or, no, or I, moral yeah. judgment. Yeah. No, I agree. I think that I think that's kind of the direction I was kind of headed uh, as I was reading. Um, so yeah, Romeo and Juliet. We did talk about it mostly uh, last episode. So you can, I think we did a fairly good job. Actually, as I was reading the Stanley Wells book, uh, and he has a chapter devoted to Romeo and Juliet, I'm like, yes, we said that. Yeah, we said that. We agree <laughs> with that. Yeah, okay, no, we're on the same page. Okay, so well, that's good. Th- there's to know. not too much more, um, which leaves just one of the more interesting ones, I think, for uh, Shakespeare's canon, which is which is homosexuality. Right. Yeah. Um, it is something that's been. Uh, again, built into many productions that I've seen over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's almost, there's there's absolutely, there's there's mentions, I think, in one play of uh, like a, another off-screen kind of character, uh, like preferring the company of men. And there is Achilles and Patroclus? Patroclus? Patroclus. Patroclus. God, I can't say Greek names at all. Uh, you know, they, they are the only homosexual couple yeah, okay. uh, that's like confirmed. Uh-huh. Um, and it's interesting in that because they're not really looked down upon as you might expect. Well, they're also Greek and, and exactly. we have to look to the original Greeks as uh, kind of... 
they're exempted from our moral conundrums of the day because they allowed the kind of you know male bonding has a very different meaning to the greeks than it does to a modern audience well and it it was the same with the romans you know they borrowed a lot of that too it was just you know and in shakespeare's time that was another mention in wells's book was that uh pedastry was kind of still practiced in some areas where you know an older man would take on a younger lover and that's why you know when you talk about the sonnets you could read into that of you know this young beautiful man yes could have been someone that Shakespeare was infatuated with or somebody else was in fact there's there was talk of the Earl of Southampton actually having had uh, gay lovers before he married his wife right um so uh yeah so but so I guess uh beyond Achilles uh in Troilus and Cressida though um there's no there's no outright gay characters really in Shakespeare no but I think the the interesting part is always that as we've mentioned, the male relationships, male friendship mm-hmm. can be so easily misconstrued as homosexual um, or, or meaningfully, meaningfully yeah. construed as mm-hmm. homosexual, depending on how you perform it. Yeah. Um, and I mean, you and, and our, our friend Zaki um, like to quote Antonio and Sebastian's. I do adore these so, Zaki. Yes. Um, <laughs> Uh, because it is, it, it, that's maybe one of the easiest in, in the Merchant of Venice, yeah. the easiest, um, examples to point to of a relationship that. It's Twelfth Night, isn't it? Oh yes. You're in Twelfth Night. I'm yeah. thinking of, of the, the Merchant of Venice with the other yes, Antonio. They also potentially. Very yes. Gay, but yes. because <laughs> why else would you be putting your life on the line for your friend unless there was something deeper yeah, there, really, right? Yeah, like yeah. it had to have been a deep, meaningful relationship, yeah. um, possibly a romantic one. Yeah. And now he's going off to marry his betrothed yes and you don't you are not going to have him anymore so this is your last sacrifice yeah. right um so i guess that's it could be played either way but um but it was interesting to me when we were reading uh two gentlemen of verona and we were discussing the idea that male friendship was yeah the pinnacle yeah like yeah bros before hoes yeah all well, and that play started with, you know, I, oh, sweet, loving Proteus. Yeah, you know, like yeah, it's, exactly. It, it's, it's, again, language that uh, we wouldn't use without having kind of a sexual connotation. Yeah. Um, it didn't necessarily carry that no. in Shakespeare's time, uh, but it could have been Shakespeare's time as well. Sure. And that's the thing, like, reading some of the sonnets about the fair youth is like, yeah. whoa, yeah, this dude needs to bone Shakespeare right away because they, yeah. <laughs> obviously Shakespeare really is dying for it here. Yeah. Um, but it's, and it, you know, I don't think you can really turn that off in mm-hmm. some of the instances. Um, I think it, again, it just, it just, I think the fact that it's, it's open to that is kind of in itself amazing. The fact that, yeah. uh, and again, a lot of it probably owes to that idea that male friendship was the epitome of meaningful relationships in this time. It wasn't marriage. It was, you know, two guys, having two rows, having, having a, a hot tub five, five feet, feet apart because there's they're... coronavirus. Um, so, <laughs> uh, you know, there's that. Uh, I think that helped it. But I think the underlying idea of close male friendship potentially having a sexual aspect to it um is just it's in shakespeare's place it's there yeah and that's kind of incredible i think the thing that's more interesting is the fact that we don't get many lesbian uh, interactions I was just thinking at all that. 
And and we mentioned it in in Midsummer how it would have been cool if Helena and Hermia had had some kind of like early dalliance. They're just it seems like such a secondary concern. But but Wells pointed this out in thinking about the 1999 production yeah. uh, with the mud fight. Yeah, yeah. Which was the 90s way of being homoerotic. Yes. You know, there, yeah. apparently that is a quite a common thing in productions of Midsummer Night's Dream okay. is to have them, you know, have some sort of romantic kind of entanglement, right. whether that's a stupid one like it was in the 99 yeah. movie or if it's more outright. And, you know, when she said, you're more fair than I, you know, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. It, you know, it's it's more amorous that way. There are a lot of instances of a very close female friendship, but... Um, yeah, as you like it and stuff. Yeah, yeah. and... Uh, uh, two gentlemen also has yeah. the um, I forget her name and her her maid servant. Yeah. yeah. Um, there are also cases of like Juliet and the nurse, which is definitely not, not a, a romantic relationship. But but it is curious that and, and that's probably just because um, it's just not something Shakespeare would have known would have, about would have known about or cared to put into yeah. play. It's not like it's not like people were writing great epistles about. Uh, you <laughs> two know, female two women, female, yeah, yeah, yeah friendship like yeah. that. The woman's perspective didn't really come out until, you know, well, yeah, and you'd have to wonder like if you'd made a, a more obvious overtones to lesbianism, mm-hmm. which was not accepted either. Um, sure, just like homosexual male homosexuality wasn't. Uh, you know, you'd be heading at things like, oh, well, she's a maid, wink, wink. When you have a, yeah. a female ruler who's a maid right on the throne yeah who's in your audience you can't quite yeah it wouldn't be quite as easy i think plus i think also um the idea that we talked about sexual power being something that men have over women but when a woman is given sexual power um it makes them very dangerous i think that's something that even exists to this day with um this certain characteristics of uh older women in relationships being cougars right yeah, yeah. like it's a powerful yeah apex predator you know this isn't this isn't cute it's not yeah. adorable this is like powerful shit right yeah. and and i'm jokingly mentioned titania's glowing vagina from that one production that our yeah our, san francisco i think yeah very, our shakespeare prof brought yeah. it up um but the idea that titania's power might be central centralized in her vagina and mm-hmm. that it would glow on stage with this you know energy force yes. right um shakespeare probably wouldn't it didn't write it with that in mind although, although titania does have yeah. the sexual power there so maybe but I'm, I'm saying in terms of being so overt about it the yeah. glowing vagina is a little on the nose yeah um having said that i think that it's just not this is where uh, modern interpretations throughout the ages have really um, given women the short shrift because obviously women have sexual desires and have sexual um, power in certain situations. Mm-hmm. And so denying that that exists when you could read into it as Hermie and Helena, yeah. you know, demonstrate yeah. um, is just a... a, a a sign that the the culture at the time is not ready to admit yeah. that women have this agency, sexual agency. Yeah. So and, and that it can be directed towards other women even. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, it's just men not, or women. Yeah. 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 And that's not something that was really discussed, but it is again, it's kind of hinted and at. And when it when it but when it is hinted at, it's 
um, supernatural. Yeah, beings. yeah. It's not sure, human yes. human women. It's Titania. Yeah. It's Venus. Yeah, or God in yeah. the sense of the the saints. Uh, yeah, from measure for measure, you know. That's, right, like yeah. it's it's not um, a mortal human woman. They 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 don't function that way. They're not registering on yeah. Shakespeare's radar. Yeah. And whether that's a blind spot well, in it, his, you know, Yeah, and I just not. wanted to mention uh, All's Well That Ends Well is the play where the, the female does the wooing yeah, and, okay. does the, and does the seeking out. So I think when we get there to that play, we'll, we'll have a, a, a nice long discussion about that because uh, it does seem like the one outlier in that, in that mm-hmm. uh, sense of finally giving a woman uh, not only desire, but the ability. She does get what she wants. Well, um, uh, Hamlet also has some yeah. preoccupations with that. Yeah. You know, yeah. with both Gertrude and maybe Ophelia yeah, as well. Right. Yep. yep. Their sexual power does come out. What it's, it's the interpretator, the, not the interpretation, the, um, uh, Maybe it's the fear of that. Yes, they don't maybe well, use it. A fellow too. I mean, but, that goes back to yeah, the jealousy. Yeah, yeah, no, it know? does. But it's yeah. it, but it's a it's a male preoccupation with what yeah. might be happening. Yeah, not what's really happening. Yeah, but how they imagine it, and that yeah. is a lack Much, of imagination yeah. on the part of the male because they can only imagine things in terms of sexual power. Yeah. So the women have sexual power that they're it's misusing. Like, yeah, exactly. And therefore, yeah. they're fallen women. Yeah, it's like much to about reality, to uh, hero. You know. Sure accused of yeah. sleeping around and stuff and, yeah. and yeah so yeah it is it is definitely a common theme if i longer stay we shall begin our ancient bickerings so in lieu of a debate this this uh episode because i was so much better prepared for this than Lindsay. we planned it this way don't make it sound like i didn't come prepared we just discussed no. that this was the format yeah i know but i just wanted to play it up and and oh. you know get get a little bickering going uh anyways instead of a bicker <laughs> uh debate we're gonna do a uh question and answer kind of thing uh it's a single question though okay uh, so it's a single question a single answer. longer answer yeah uh Lindsay, i am asking the question after today's discussion do you find your opinion of how Shakespeare treated sex has changed? And do you think it's made you understand him as a more liberal thinker on sex? Or is it pretty much in line with what you what you already had in your head? I don't think my opinion has changed too much about it. I think I think I always just naturally assumed that Shakespeare was uh I don't want to say he was like a libertine or anything like that, but <laughs> And I don't even know where that assumption came from because I really didn't know much beyond the documentaries that I've watched about, yeah. you know. His life, which is, and, is mostly and, guesswork. And yeah. life in Elizabethan England yeah. where everybody died at 35. And so, yeah, you were going to bone the whole time because yeah. YOLO. <laughs> but um, so, I, I mean, I guess I, I didn't really expect there to be any prudishness. There, there definitely isn't. I've read enough of Shakespeare to see that. I think... I hope that people listening to this will walk away with a little bit more of uh, an appreciation for how, I guess, how liberal Elizabethans were Mm -hmm. in certain cases and certainly how that plays out in in Shakespeare's plays. Um, If this is the only episode they listen to, I hope that's the... Yeah, catch it with the headline. Yeah. Sex! And Shakespeare. Yeah, right? Um, <laughs> sex, sex was good. Points yes, and then yeah. Shakespeare 12 font. Point font yeah. Yeah. 
No, and yeah. So I mean, I guess that's that's where I'm that's where I'm sitting right now. It seems like that was that was going to be that was a foregone conclusion for me. Yeah. Okay. That we were going to come out of this realizing that I I think I did expect that there would be more um, or that there was more um, constriction or restriction on the kinds of sex that were was allowed. Yeah. Like I, I guess yeah. I kind of still think that even in in even the lowest peasant marriage, they were still having sex through a sheet. Yeah. But, you know, they were <laughs> they all living in one Lindsay, room. Lindsay, exactly. So, I mean, and and they had many children. So they, <laughs> they were having sex in front of their children who were sleeping on trundle beds beneath <laughs> their bed. Yeah. Like, if they, they weren't bed, yeah. prudish about no. it. So I guess it's it's kind of... And, and even even then, like, if you had one room in your house and you had guests over... I mean, and they were staying for a while. You <laughs> might be having sex in the same room as your in-laws. Like, it, it yeah. would, it's weird. Um, it's definitely not a private thing. Yeah. I think that is something I knew, but I'm still kind of surprised at, yeah. Yeah. at how public sex was. Yes. Maybe that's the the, the, the takeaway. The take yeah, is that sex was was a much more public thing. They talked about it. They engaged in it, even when they were in the upper classes. Mm-hmm. It was happening, and even if they didn't acknowledge it, it was still there. Yeah, um, enough that they could laugh at the jokes that Shakespeare was peppering into his yeah. you know screwball comedies. Yeah, so. Not screwball comedy, but you know what I mean. Um, so yeah, I guess that's that's the thing. They they were they have maybe gotten a bad rap, Elizabethans. Yeah, well, I and think- it's probably that as you mentioned, we think you know that the farther back you go, the more regressive people are but i mean if you go back far enough you're back into the ancient greeks and they had all sorts of libertine ways about sex and i mean sometimes with slaves and stuff like there were some icky things there too especially the pedastry stuff but uh you know it was it was a much different take on sex than um what we've kind of inherited as an understanding of history um but i think the fact that it's a it's england in England has through the Victorian age, especially cultivated this kind of repressive sexuality yeah. kind of ethos. Um, I think we've just kind of said, Oh, it's England. So therefore it's the English way, you know, yeah. you know, it's like the, the Monty Python sketch when, well, we've had sex twice and we have two kids. Yeah, yes, yeah, but yeah. I could use a rubber if I want, <laughs> because I'm a Protestant, you know, like there's, there's that kind of feeling to the English kind of language that we've inherited since that time. Yeah. Um, so I think I think that's probably part of it. I, I mean, I won't speak for you, Lynn, but that was kind of my when I went into it, uh, reading this. I was like, oh yeah, no, the, the you know, sex didn't really happen much. And then I'm reading, you know, the the biographical details. There's one guy who uh, documented his sexual escapades, and like he was a slut. Like this man got around. Um, he, you know, he was he was visiting all the brothels in in London. Uh, you know, uh, it was just, it was, it was a crazy thing to read about this guy. Um, uh, and you know, his record keeping of his, of his exploits that, that was this stuff that kind of amazed me as I was reading the book. And as I thought more about Shakespeare's portrayals of sex is that it does have these far more open and flamboyant and out there, uh, experiences. Something that also has struck me in the course of our conversation, um, 
and it, maybe this is my question to you oh. uh, to throw it back back to you Aiden yes um, is our society really all that liberal mm-hmm. because and I only say this because um, we know that the Victorians were more repressive and we are the product of the Victorian sensibility especially here in Canada it's a country that was founded and became a nation under, under Victoria, Victoria. Yeah. there are a lot of things in in Western society you know that that are directly linked to that ethos yeah. I guess yeah um, and I'm reminded of that poem by Philip Larkin Annis Mirabilis from 19 I don't know remember when it was written um, sexual intercourse began in 1963, which was rather late for me, between the end of the Chatterley Band and the Beatles' first LP. And <laughs> and I'm just thinking, like, the 1950s and early 60s were really sexually repressive. Still, yeah. And we're not that far away from that. Yeah. Our I mean, the 80s were, were sexually period. repressive in a lot of well, ways. Well, yeah. I, mean, I grew up in a household where, and mom and dad, if you're listening, they're not listening. I don't know why I'm addressing <laughs> they never them. Was. But they never they, like we couldn't say the word sex yeah. and I was born in 1985 yeah. so I mean it's not like this isn't like we're not some bastion of, of liberal thinking there are certain pockets of our society that are but as a whole I mean there's still a lot of repression and there's still a lot of uh, guilt associated with sex mm-hmm. and um, we're still reckoning with a lot of ugliness from as a result of of past repressiveness in our society. So are we even really in a position to judge other cultures as repressed or not? Are yeah, we really no, all that much better? For sure. I mean, even just saying the word repressed is inherently Freudian. You know, it, it sure, implies yeah. that there's something that is inherently there underneath all human beings that must be expressed. And every time you pass a law saying, you know, you can't, you know, use whips and chains at home, right. then that's pushing that down. But yeah. is that really like that's that is a very Western kind of, uh, you know, uh, patriarchal almost view of how sexuality works. Right. Uh, we've been watching 30 Rock. Yeah. Uh, is Liz Lemon sexually repressed or was it just Neil Diamond's poster falling on her face <laughs> that caused her to have some bad connections with sex? And these are the things that, like it's at a personal level and a societal level. They're totally different things in terms of what uh, sexuality looks like. It is a very personal experience. Yeah. It gets uh, talked about at a societal level. It gets talked about at a... Um, well, it gets legislated at a societal well, level, um, but it always winds up being a personal thing. Mm-hmm. It is something that, you know, one or two or more people share. And yeah. that's that's the experience uh, that I think Shakespeare's characters have right. is of being an individual with varying degrees of desires and wants and experiences and bad experiences sure. uh, all combined in with things like love and rules and the church and all these things that are marriage uh, yeah exactly all these outside and inside forces are always competing um i think ours allows does not punish as harshly as others perhaps i think that maybe that's what i'm saying when i say liberal you know it's like there's there are fewer punishments meted out for uh a wider variety of kinds of sexual expression i i I will say there are there are states in the united states where um the purchase of porn is still illegal uh or sex toys (laughs) yeah um and we do still criminalize pregnancy in a lot of cases if you if you are um seeking an abortion or um other um 
birth control contraception of, of certain sorts in many places in the United States, especially these things are criminalized. So sex is still very much legislated. As you, I, I'm yeah, glad you yeah. brought that up, that it is still legislated. Now, those cases are being... I don't think anybody's being arrested for buying a sex toy in or Arkansas or wherever it is. Or something. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Um, but you do have places in, I think it in um, England, was it not where they had a ban on certain types of porn that were allowed? Yeah. Well, no, they instituted a parental control and then, yeah. I well, think no, they, but they also said things like certain sex yes, acts were yes. not allowed. Yeah. This was back in like 2012 or 2013 yeah. or something. I, I could they, be wrong. Yeah. I don't know how you police that. <laughs> I don't. Like, yeah, like I, there are certain things. Like these are these are like those homosexual laws that the Elizabethans had. Where yeah. like, are people actually being charged for these things? Yeah, probably not. Probably not. But they still exist on the books, and I think that's a problem. Yeah. yeah. And we do still have issues with policing, whether they're they're um, formal legislations or just the socially constructed legislations where. You know, you talk about things like bisexual erasure or the stigma of um, being in a, a polyamorous relationship or well, whatever. Whatever it is. I mean, and that's and that's that's a discussion that's going to continue on for forever. Sure. Is that for sure? What is society? What is any society willing to accept as deviance? You know, yeah. like yeah. is. Uh, you know, as a society, we're saying pedophilia is bad. Yes. Obviously, for us right now, that Can makes sense. Can we imagine sense. a future where that isn't the yeah, case? Well, and the Greeks did. Like, yeah. the Greeks so, had an entire system with it. So, so uh, yeah, it's not it's not something that is going to be... Yeah, there's, there's no one official no. truth out there no. that we're all working towards. It's just... But that's... Okay, so that's the thing. This isn't... Um, we, we are not going to fall into that fallacious trap of saying that society progresses in a linear fashion yeah, yeah, yeah. because it's clearly not the case no. and uh and so as modern viewers and readers we should not sit on our high horses no. and say shakespeare's time was repressive and regressive because yes. they're five six hundred years in the past and everything is better now no. clearly that is not the case well no and yeah. That's my takeaway. No, and that's great. I mean, you just totally undercut my whole intro, and that's perfect, Lindsay. That's a great no, 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 because because your intro actually says that it it talks about the fact that this stuff wasn't linear. Yeah, you know. Well, kind of, but it plays on the supposition that it was, and then circumvents it. But well, that's what you, I mean. You arrived you, at the same place. Yeah, so, we yeah, did. We're good. Yeah, okay. we're good. Right. We're a good team. We've been quarantined too long. Yeah, we've been. Yeah, we've got to stop thinking so similarly. Jesus. Parting is such sweet sorrow that I shall say goodnight till it be morrow. Uh, so that's that's the end of our episode today. Yep. Um, thank you for joining us. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's next on the docket? Next up we have King John. King John. Which I have not read. Neither have I. Nobody's Who is read King it. John? Uh, Magna John. Carta, right? Magna Carta. He All was right. that dude. Uh, he was also the dude uh, who was looking out for Robin Hood and couldn't find him. Uh, oh, yeah. Robin Hood. Yeah. Okay, all right. I yeah. dig. So I, dig. I, we, I literally have not even read the Wikipedia entry on this no. entry. Uh, I get the, Lindsay and I were talking about this uh, the other day. We're like, is this going to be one of those plays where he jam packs all of his life into like a week? Like, you know, like, oh, here I am, young King John taking over for Richard the Lionheart. Oh, and then tomorrow he's dead, and now I'm the bad guy, and oh, yeah. Magna Carta happens, oh, and now I'm going to die. Like, yeah. is that is that what we're in store for? Is this going to be a little more structured? I'm, I'm not I sure. I guess we'll find we'll out. Find out. Um, exciting. It will be. Uh, after that, we are discussing uh, Shakespeare's influences. So this is uh, the things like Raphael Holland's head, uh, the... Uh, 
Boccaccio who inspired uh, and Chaucer who inspired yeah. Charles and Cresta. Like where are these sources we're going to talk about? Uh, where did Shakespeare get his ideas from? Okay. Uh, what, how did they influence plays? What did he, what kind of changes did he make and stuff like that? Uh, this one, we might wind up doing a bit of our own research and, uh, and or uh, reading what other people have said. So cool. hopefully we'll go in there semi-informed. Uh, if not, then we'll change the topic on the fly and you won't know about <laughs> it until you open up that episode. So Fantastic. It's always, always a treat when you get a, a big spot episode in your queue, isn't it? You never really know what's going on. No, neither do we. <laughs> you can find all our episodes on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcast fix. If you want to tell us what you think of Shakespeare, his plays, poems, or any of the topics we discuss, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us on Twitter, that's at the Bixpod, on Facebook at facebook.com slash thebixpod, or by email at thebixpod at gmail.com. That's our cue to exit.